day, and welcome to another episode of the famous podcast, DBSG, Discipleship Bible Study Group, in which we look at the Bible and Christianity through a very interesting point of view. Uh, my, I'm one of your hosts, Brother Rob, and our other host is Brother Fred. Say hey, Brother Fred. Hey! <laughs> and we today, we are looking through topics and issues that we're seeing here in the news and in the world in general, and giving some perspective using uh, the Bible, Christianity, uh, astronomy, and technology. And so with that said, today we're going to explore a very interesting topic that's been in the news, uh, whether you're Christian or not. And that, of course, has been the comeback of Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, since he lost the election last year, has been on a steady campaign to reinstate himself to be the president of the United States. Reinstating being a loose term uh, where some believe that he was legitimately elected and should be reinstated because he was, while others believe that, you know, following the election that he lost, Biden won, and he's now planning to run again in 2024, prepping a campaign to return to the presidency. But with all that being said, there are some who feel that there's a either biblical or divinely appointed uh, purpose to what we're seeing with Donald Trump. And today's show, we're going to explore that. Uh, Brother Fred, why don't you expand on uh, this topic for us? Well, uh, Mr. Donald Trump, New York product. Uh, I live in New York. You live in New Jersey, Brother Rob. So we, we, we love our Donald Trump because he's a product of our environment. Um, you know, from the uh, uh, <laughs> sociology standpoint, and I do have uh, a background in this area. You know, he's probably a fully functioning sociopath by any uh, name, name. And everybody that I ever talked to about that all just sort of says, yeah, he is, but, you know, we still love him. And I'm like, well, you don't really understand what a sociopath is. Then. <laughs> but, um, but with Mr. Trump, it's all about me, 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 me. And if anything goes wrong, I'm not going to take the blame for it. I'm the best thing that ever happened. I ran the economy better than anybody else. But nobody wants to talk about the $14 trillion that uh, he amounted in a deficit even before COVID. Nobody, everybody acts like that never occurred, right? And listener, I'm telling you now, I have nothing against Mr. Trump. I, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm a believer of everything that Jesus ever said and done. I am a true Christian, just like Brother Rob here, not one of these false Christians who claim that they love you, but they really don't. I love Donald Trump. And if he was standing in front of me and somebody was trying to take his life, I'm retired military, I would dive and take a bullet for Mr. Trump, just like I would anybody else. Okay. But there's a saying that I have, Brother Rob has heard me say it plenty of times, listener, at three o'clock in the morning when there's no makeup, no shaving cream, no lies and cheating and stealing and money and fortune and fame, you have to be totally honest with yourself. That person that wakes up at three o'clock in the morning with the bad breath and the unruly hair and the crow's feet underneath their eyes, that's who you really are. So at three o'clock in the morning, that's when you're the most honest person. 
And all these people who sit here talking about this and that, the insurrection really didn't happen, and Donald Trump got cheated, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to make one point about him getting cheated. And we're going to use psychology, listener, to talk about that. And then we're going to move away from Donald Trump, because I think we have a bigger topic of discussion uh, on tap here for tonight. But if Donald Trump was cheated, so let's say the election was rigged by the Democrats. What that would mean is Donald Trump and all of the Republicans are incompetent. Because you're trying to tell me, listener, that the Democrats were so smart, they were able to take a system that we've had in use for hundreds of years, right? And up till now, there has never, ever been any proof of widespread cheating, meaning ones or twosies here, several hundred here, but not anything major. Mr. Trump took that burden of proof further than anybody has ever done in the history of elections. And all they could come up with was loose fodder, spending millions of taxpayers' dollars or donation dollars from people who believe in him. If there was something there, they would have uncovered it. The fact that they haven't means one or two things, listener. And this is going to sting if you're one of these diehard, you can't say anything about Donald Trump to me type of people. Either there was no widespread fraud, like has been said, or Mr. Trump and all the Republicans behind him are incompetent. That's what it basically means. Because there's no way no one could pull a magic trick that big over the eyes of the whole free world and get away with it. It doesn't make any sense. So you could sit up here and try to counter all you want to, and you don't know what you're talking about. You're hating on my man. Nah, I'm not hating on him. You, you, got, you just got to face reality. And when we, we're going to talk further about what's really happening in this world. It'll shed some light on bad politicians on both sides. Because we, you know, I've always, I've always said, and Brother Rob has heard me say this plenty of times too, you know, I don't see Democrat and Republican. I see a bunch of rich people and I see everybody else. That's what I see. And to them, it's all about control. It doesn't matter what side you think you're playing for. And what they do, they give us just enough fodder to keep us tagging along, thinking that if you're on this side and believe in this, you're a Republican. And if you're on this side and believe in that, you're a Democrat. They all go to the same schools. Most of them are friends. Their kids are growing up together. Most of them are filthy rich. They got business dealings in and out with each other. And they just play this song and dance just to get reelected and to keep us at odds with one another. That's what I personally believe. I'm a man of God and nobody is higher than God. No one. What are your thoughts, Brother Rob, about some of the things uh, I just mentioned? I think it's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, you have, uh, I think you're right in the sense that you do have people who are, uh, you know, they're all pretty much very similar. You know, I think especially you see that more in the Senate where they're actually more concerned about the, you'll see Democrats are more concerned with being friends with the Republicans and really, really, really go to bat for the people in terms of considering them their friends. So you, know, you can kind of see where that group 
where the personal versus the professional, where that line is kind of blurred. So uh, it's definitely interesting to see how that plays out. So, Well, all the madness in America right now that's coming to a head, that's always been here, race, race wars have always been a problem in America. What Mr. Trump has done is uh, allowed the people who are really out there hating the opportunity to step forward more in their belief systems and say, yeah, what we believe is important and we go, it's, it's nice to have somebody support what we believe in and help us bring it to the forefront. And hey, I'm all for that. If you don't love your neighbor, that's on you. But there's two great commandments in the Bible and it's very clear. It's not no misunderstanding any of this. And we're gonna talk about what these both are again uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might, all thy mind. Very simple. The second one, love thy neighbor as thy love thyself. And I'm sorry, if your neighbor has a different pigment than you, a different ethnic background than you, a different religion than you, and you can't show them any love and respect, in my opinion, you're not comfortable with who you are in your own religion, your own beliefs, your own diversity. You're not comfortable with yourself. Because if you were, you wouldn't care what somebody next door is doing. I don't care if my, my neighbor next door is, is a Hindu. I don't care if he's Japanese. I don't care if he's, you know, Mexican. I don't care if he's any of those things, you know. He is what he is. If he's a good man, he's an honorable man, he and I are going to be great. We're going to be good neighbors. You know, those things don't really matter. So we're wrapping up tonight uh, a three-part series where we're talking about being in that 11th hour and 59th minute of leading up to the great escape, the harpazo, rapture, rapture, which is basically Jesus coming back in the clouds, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who believe in him and kept his commandments will meet them in the air, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than you can blink. Twinkling of an eye means faster than what you can blink. I think you could blink your eye in one-fourth of a second, so even faster than that, which basically means there's going to be millions of believers, children, babies, gone, gone from this planet. And we're th that close where it could happen at any year uh, in my opinion, inside the next eight, next seven or eight years, because when you look at some of the things we talked about in the previous uh, Bible studies and go back and, and, and look at those on the DBSG at the end, we'll tell you how to find some of our previous podcasts. You'll see that there's been a lot going on in third heaven, which is heaven, heaven, which has manifested in second heaven, which is outer space. And tonight's talk is going to be about what has been happening on first heaven. Last week, we talked about first heaven, natural disasters. Now we're going to talk about the second type of natural disasters, and that's mankind. You know, I, <laughs> I was talking about going camping with my 10-year-old son, and he was like, but, 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 Dad, we, we could run into bears and mountain lions and skunks and all this snakes and dangerous stuff. And I said, true. I said, but I'm more afraid of man. Always have been, always will be. There is nothing on this planet more dangerous than man. If you go back, listener, if you go back and look at 
all the natural disasters has ever occurred on this planet since man has been put here. All those natural disasters together has not taken more lives than World War I or World War II. That's just two wars. That's not all the thousands of other wars that has claimed lives. I'm going to go I'm not going to go over the list of wars because I would spend probably two hours going over just the wars alone. I am going to give you some stats from World War I and World War II because those two wars killed more people than probably all the other wars combined or very close. So we're going to talk about mankind, the, the most dangerous natural disaster, mankind. And I'm going to start and talk about mass shootings. That's something that's big in all of our hearts, all of our minds. It has affected every family in America at this point. You can't turn on the news, open up a newspaper, talk to a neighbor without hearing about some horrendous crime of mass shootings. So, you know, there's basically um, three reasons that when I did my research for the proliferation of gun violence in the United States, these reasons are unlimited access to firearms, big problem, corrupt politicians for irresponsible gun laws, big problem, and racism issues, major problem. What, what do you think about those uh, three reasons, Brother Rob? Definitely valid. You know, it's, uh, you know, all of them are very prominent in the issue and how we look at, you know, how we look at those things. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like we're seeing them now more than ever as it's becoming a topic, both as the mass shootings are taking place and as we're seeing, especially people of color, really, again, being more prominent in terms of um, exercising their Second Amendment rights. Not so much shooting, but the uh, open carry issue, which is becoming something that you're seeing more of and you're seeing more concern about. Not that there is a concern because people color are carrying openly weapons but it goes back to the history of people in color weapons you know when people of color were seen exercising their rights there was coincidentally governmental efforts to curb those rights and now we're seeing it surface again we haven't seen the government response yet but it wouldn't surprise me that we start seeing something take place and I'll mention once again, I'm retired military. I'm uh, very proficient. I shot marksmen with uh, small arms and I don't own a gun right now. Don't want a gun. Don't really need a gun. I'm not against people who do want guns, um, but I do draw the line at automatic uh, weapons. I don't feel people need rifles or semi-automatic rifles. I do. I'm listener. I'm saying it again. I'm going to say it slow. So you can't say brother, Fred hates the fact that we own guns and he's against us. I don't see why you need a semi-automatic rifle to defend your home. If totally you agree. Don't, right? Yeah. You, you don't need you don't need an AK-47. You really don't. Yeah. If you can't defend your home with a nine millimeter, you're not going to be able to do it any better with a semi-automatic rifle because you're talking about a long-barreled weapon, right? That's longer than a handgun, 
you know, you, you can have some short barrel weapons, semi-automatic rifles in your home, but most of them are uh, elongated uh, barrels. And you're in your narrow hallways of your home with this elongated barreled weapon trying to take out a would-be burglar that's there to, I don't know, steal some of the DVDs off your shelves. If you look at these statistics of people who get hurt doing burglaries, the numbers are severely low. Why? Because they don't want to get hurt either. They're not trying to hurt you. They don't want to get hurt. So they know that most houses have alarms. Most houses have these big, humongous dogs and crazy people running around with guns. So that being said, what do they normally do? They do it David Niven style, where they tiptoe in when you're not there because they've been casing your home. They're not trying to come in and kick open your door when, you know, mom and dad is home with three kids and they know that dad is a cop and he's walking around with this big old sidearm when he walked into his home earlier that evening. Come on. These people aren't that stupid. Well, they are, but <laughs> not mortally stupid. They don't want to die. They just want to be able to fence their little bit of jewelry or your TV or DVD or whatever collection. Most of them are drug abusers so they can get back to their bad habits. That's all that really is. So most of them are running, coming into your house with three or four guns and body armor and all this crazy stuff because they want to get into this big shootout with you. Uh, you know, I, I just don't feel it's necessary to have all these semi-automatic rifles. So let me give you some stats, uh, Brother Robin, listener, as to what kind of deadliness automatic rifles has done in this country. So here's some stats for you. Las Vegas, October 1st, 2017, Mr. Steven Paddock is one of the most infamous white mass shooters in American history. He killed 58 and wounded over 800 during a country music festival in Las Vegas. I love country music. I, I was country when country wasn't cool. I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm a, I, listener, if you never knew this about me, I'm a black man and I love country music. So I, it's, it's, I find it hard to believe that a white man named Stephen Paddock hated country music that much and he went to kill all those people. But we know that wasn't the case. He was just flat out evil. That's all that was. The killing orgy perpetrated by this 64-year-old retiree lasted only 10 minutes. He killed 58 people and wounded over 810 minutes. Why? Because he had upper ground. When you, when you can be on top of someone and firing down and catch them by surprise with a semi-automatic weapon, you have a great chance of killing a lot of people in mass because there was a lot of people there. His arsenal included 23 semi-automatic rifles, revolver, and bolt-action rifle. Twelve of these were fitted with bump stocks for firing in rapid sequence. So how did he get a hold of some of these things to be able to convert these things into a uh, rapid-fire weapon, right? Makes you wonder. Uh, next one, Orlando, Florida, June 11, 2016. Omar Mateen is another of the notorious white mass shooters. Mateen was armed with a Sig Sawyer semi-automatic rifle and 9mm semi-automatic Glock pistol. Mateen killed 49 people and wounded 53 before being killed by responding police officers. 
Next one, Sutherland Springs, Texas, November 5th, 2017. Devin Patrick Kelly is also among the ill-famed American white mass shooters. He murderly shot 26 Baptist churchgoers, including an unborn baby and wounded 20 others. Kelly, formerly with the United States Air Force, used a Ruger AR-556 semi-automatic rifle. And being prior Air Force or prior military, I'm sure he was very proficient at it. It's very sad. And the last one I have in my statistics here is Parkland, Florida, February 14, 2018. A 19-year-old, 19-year-old, Nicholas Cruz killed 17 adults and children at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. One of many white mass murderers, Cruz was expelled from that school for unnamed reasons. Cruz used a semi-automatic rifle and fled before being arrested by police. What do all four of these mass shootings have in common? Semi-automatic rifles. You can catch a lot of people in a short amount of time. Absolutely. And that's their goal. Their goal is they know the cops are going to show up within five to seven, eight minutes. So they want to inflict as much damage as they can in a very short time period. And I'm sorry, I know everybody's talking about, well, you know, uh, so-and-so had a mental issue and, you know, he, you know, he had problems and da-da-da. Well, we need to change the laws. We need to stay on top of these politicians and change these laws so that people who are mentally impaired or worse do not have access to buy guns, period. Right? Right. Well said. Next, mass shooters by race and ethnicity. I know I was just picking on um, those 19 to middle age, even though uh, the first guy was 64, these statistics are usually are between uh, 18 and uh, 45. And most of them are white Americans, male. Uh, white American shooters perpetrated 64 of the 118 mass shooting by race incidents in the country. All these events took place between 1982 and February, 2020. The active shooter statistics also revealed this is from a website that tracks all the data on the active shooters. Also revealed there were 20 blacks, 10 Latinos, and eight Asians. The rest were five others, six unknown, unclear, and three were Native Americans. According to the active shooter stat statistics, most of these incidents happened in schools and populated places makes sense because they want to inflict the most damage in the shortest amount of time. Um, the Center for Disease Control revealed the following figures on black-on-black -black crime from 2015 until 2016. The age adjusted homicide rate for total population rose from 5.7 to 6.2 per 100,000 population. The rate went up 20.9 to 22.8 or 9.1% for non-Hispanic Blacks. And that's Black on Black crime. 
Um, the homicide rate for non-Hispanic blacks was around eight times more than other races. But most of the time, even though those numbers are very high for blacks, we're basically shooting up our own neighborhoods. That's what we're doing. And those things have been going on forever. Most of those are gang related and they've been going on forever. And America at large has always been kind of insulated against it. Middle-class America on up, usually Caucasian on up, has been sort of insulated because no one really goes in these news agencies and report highly on these uh, racial, not racially motivated, but gang-motivated uh, hate crimes against each other. Just another Black killing another Black. So those happen all the time in our communities, our poor black communities. But here's an interesting stat. Only around 2% of black males commit violent crimes yearly, around 2%. Poor urban whites have higher violence rates against whites, 56.4 compared to blacks, 51.3 per 1,000. So what's interesting is when we do hear about crimes and poor neighborhoods, it's usually the black on black and not the white on white, which is higher, which is kind of interesting. It kind of goes to what you know they say about crime in general, which is that you're basically going to get shot by people who you're generally around, which kind of makes sense. So, you know. You have white people who live in white neighborhoods and you have black people who live in black, black neighborhoods. The only people who don't seem to have that statistic, you probably came across this in your research, are Asian people. The Asian people are likely, more likely to be shot by somebody who's not of their race than is of their race versus Hispanic whites and blacks. That's true so, because, because a lot of Asians don't believe in owning uh, firearms. Most of right. them don't believe in it. And it's hard to shoot somebody when you don't own a gun. So I, I do remember hearing about a, a few stories in China of people walking around killing people with machetes. Uh, and people did die from those um, hate crimes, not really hate crimes, but mass killings. Uh, I'm so used to saying mass shootings, I almost said it again, but they were actually using a machete and people did die, but it's only so much killing you can do with a knife or a machete versus a gun obviously right. now recommended interventions and i find all of these to be <laughs> sort of uh uh interesting from the you know being a christian to me these these are band-aid uh, approaches to handling these types of problems in our society uh, because as a believer of god uh, God always has us looking at the bigger picture. And while uh, leaders in the world's countries have the same ability to look at the bigger pictures, they're not really, they're insulated from it in their lives. Even with the insurrection, you, didn't, you, you saw people or those leaders of our great country very unnerved on both sides in the first 72 hours after it occurred. And then after that, most of the Republicans fell back into this sense of normalcy, like, oh, it's no big deal, you know. Even one of them stated, well, they may have been uh, uh, um, in, in, in the White House where they shouldn't have been, but 
they were doing it, doing it orderly. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You can't say just because some of them were orderly that they weren't wrong for breaking major laws to go into a federal building, one of the most important federal buildings in our country. I'm sorry, I'm not buying that excuse. And just because no one got seriously hurt, other than that young lady who got shot and killed. Um, well, you had six people die as a result of uh, what took place there. Yeah, after the fact, you had some people who died, but at the time it occurred, I think there was only the young lady who got shot that died, right? Well, you remember that police officer was hitting the head with the extinguisher. Right. And then he died two years late, two Two days later. Uh, uh, two days later, I think it was, it was sometime during that week. Yeah. And then you and had four other people who had natural causes. Natural cause deaths, dude. Yeah. yeah. And all their lives are a stain on anybody who's willing to just undermine the importance of what these people believed in. These people are true believers in their causes. Because if they weren't, they never would have broken in there and did what they did. There's a difference between protesting with an attitude, breaking a few storefront windows and, you know, that and kicking in the front door, basically, and walking into the the Capitol building. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) so here's some recommended interventions as to how we can deal with um, mass shootings in america focus on gun safety number one focus on gun safety through the implementation of practical gun laws and safety culture stringent legislation on firearms will lessen access to firearms and possibly uh, mass shooters by race that's one thing Uh, Number two, make sure the gun industry is held accountable for the sales of firearms and ammunition. I like what Chris Rock had to say about that in one of his comedy routines. He said if if every bullet was $5, (laughs) 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 I can't remember the price tag. I think he said $5 per bullet. You'd be, you know, if you're from the hood, you're not going to be wanting to shoot your guns around. (laughs) I will blow your head off if I could afford it. (laughs) (laughs) But you just wait till I get my bullets out of layaway. (laughs) But um, uh, what's that? Number three, require firearms owners to practice prudence in the use of firearms. Make it mandatory for them to follow rules on safe gun storage. Very funny. Uh, Number four, accept that gun violence can produce mass murders if not properly addressed by authorities. Very funny. Formulate safety plans for communities as well as support for prevention and intervention programs. All of these sound very commendable, laudable, possible. I think they're all um, Band-Aid fix to major issues in this country. What's your feeling on some of the things I uh, just read, uh, Brother Rob? Well, I think they're valid. You know, I think there definitely needs to be, you know, some measures taken in terms of the access to guns to begin with, you know, that they are so easily accessible without background checks. I think that's the real big concern. You can basically buy anything online or at a gun show and 
be whoever you want to be, you know, and not have to be able to be have, go through any type of check whatsoever. So I think those are definitely ways to go about addressing the issue. It must come down to, to uh, money. Money is always a very credible factor in, in accounting for change in any process, major process in America. Uh, I personally feel these politicians and very wealthy people, these issues don't affect their lives. I mean, the if the closest thing they came to gun violence was the insurrection, then it's quite obvious that rich people do not care about gun violence in America. And they're going to sit up here and try to posture and say that they do, and they're concerned about it. I will agree that to a certain degree, most of them may care, but where it counts, and that's forcing their friends who are in off, holding office that's re supposed to represent us, starts passing more stringent laws um, to keep the NRA under control. Yes, I said it to keep the NRA under control and get these semi-automatic weapons off the streets, they shouldn't be sold. And yes, I've heard it before from everyone else. Well, you're still going to have a gun problem in America because of all the illegal ones. But if you can get people, but most people are not going to go out of their way to illegally purchase an AR-15 just to say that they have one because they know if they ever get caught with one in their home, they're going to be going to jail for a very long time. The average person that pays their taxes every day, go to work, eat your cheese sandwich on their lunch break, at the most, the only law that they break on a routine basis is driving too doggone fast on the highway and maybe running an occasional stop sign. So those type of people, who morally, their consciences are in the right place, are not going to go out of the way to legally purchase an AR-15 or any other semi-automatic rifle just to say that they have one. So if we can get legislation to approve um, banning certain types of firearms across the board in every state, we will see our numbers start to decrease, in my opinion. That's the, you know, one way to, to approach it. I do think part of it too, though, is that <clears throat> you know, I think it's gone beyond the pockets now because you've had politicians who were GOP who were personally shot, you know, and had their lives at risk <clears throat> from gun violence and are still supporting, you know, the access, the basically wide and unchecked access to guns. So I think it definitely speaks more to their, uh, I don't even want to call it commitment, but their desire to appeal to their voter base who does not care what tragedy has taken place because of guns. At the end of the day, as long as their voter base is saying, we want, we want no restrictions on guns whatsoever. They seem to be committed to that, even if these politicians have personally been affected by it. Woo. Then why not go all the way then? If you remember, there was a time period in America where everybody walked around with a sidearm on their hip in the good old West. And if you had a problem with somebody, you stood out in the middle of the street and you two shot each other dead. Well, they are, they are trying to, they are moving back to that. Uh, you've had, with Texas, with the new law in Texas, they're the 21st state to allow open carry without having to have a permit or even have any training. 
And with them being a 21st state, you're already seeing that movement taking place on the state level and among the voter base. Uh, in the federal level, of course, they don't have the power to to basically undo the um, the regulations that have already been put on the books. They can only do so much. But on the state level, they are it's the OK Corral in terms of where you're seeing the direction of legislation going. But it's the OK Corral where you're seeing the direction of mass shootings going as well. You know, we're seeing, we're hearing more about mass shootings more than we have, I think, at any point in in our time in history and. You know, it's only going to, I don't know if there is a breaking point, you know, and, that, and that's kind of what's the scary part of this situation here. But it also speaks to, you know, what you'll talk about in Revelations, where, you know, maybe this, this is another sign of the days, you know, days to come. You know, as I'm sure many people who grew up with Christian households would see things like this and, and say that, you know. Well, where we're headed is the fabric of our society is unraveling to the point to where we're going to basically have a lawless society that we're going to have to step in uh, the government at some point and administer this firm iron hand type law, which fits along with what the beast system is trying to do. One world government, one money, one people, one religion. And, but for that to occur, we have to fall apart to the point to where they feel it's necessary to step in and administer control over all of us. And that's where we're headed. I mean, listen, we were talking about this before we started recording tonight, Brother Rob, about down in Florida, that 12-year-old boy and 14-year-old girl who, I guess, broke out of juvenile hall, broke into someone's home, um, stole two shotguns and a... um, semi-automatic rifle and had a firefight with police officers. And to me, as a parent, as a military man, but mainly as a believer in God and Jesus Christ, it hurt my, it hurt me to my core to hear on the body mic of one of the police officers hiding behind a tree. And every time he, he stepped away from the tree to look around the corner, periodically the young lady would shoot at him. And you could hear him murmuring, please don't make me do this. Please don't force me to do this. He's a trained expert. This trained expert is saying, I do not want to kill this child. And the dispatch officer, sergeant or whoever that was, had already reached out to his team, thank God, and told them, you know, monitors, stand by, take it easy. We don't want to go in there blazing and, and we want to stand by and not put any extra pressure on them and see if they can resolve the situation peacefully. Unfortunately, for those who don't know the story, the young lady kept pushing the issue. And one of the things she said to the boy who admitted this during his interview with the police, that she's going to light it up like, uh, what she say, GT, GTA, Grand Theft Auto. I never played the game. I know of it. I know there's probably a lot of violence in it, a lot of shoot 'em up. But I've always felt, and I'm not sure how you feel about it, Brother Rob, that these shoot 'em up games are just practice sessions to teach our children how to be killers. So they get very <laughs> immune, uh, desensitized to violence, and they get so good at these games 
where there's somebody on these games because they're very credible in their skill sets, why not take it to the next level when I'm having a problem at school and go get dad's handgun and go and, and clean up somebody like I do on these video games? I still think it goes back to the parenting. I think you can, I think we've always had, <clears throat> we've always as children been exposed to violence, you know, as, We've all had childhoods where we actually had toy guns and play guns and we play, you know, different games that we, that mimic what we saw on television. You know, sometimes we play games, you know, cowboy and Indians for those who really go back a long way. But, you know, there's always been, you know, we've always had a culture until recently where, you know, gun violence was part of the childhood, were childhood games. You know, I do feel that, what makes the difference is the parenting. You know, I feel that you have millions of kids who play video games that are particularly violent, but you're not seeing them taking that and acting out in a certain way. I feel like, especially in this case you mentioned, it's really, they, they just did not have the parenting in place to put in perspective the violence that they were exposed to. And as a result, you ended up with that casual reference to the video game in terms of whatever their purpose was. You know, it's still unclear to me. It may have been reported, I haven't seen it, but it was still unclear to me exactly what it was. They were, you know, why it escalated to this level of violence in the first place. But, uh, you know, that's just my take on it. I feel the parenting is a big factor in how video games influence children, you know, are really more or less the lack of parenting, which I think it was their case, it seems. So, you know, more parenting is needed because of the realism of these games. You and I were shooting that plastic believe, guns yeah. with, with those little um, <laughs> suction cup uh, bullets with the plastic behind it that you cocked a weapon with it and you shoot it. And if you missed your brother or cousin, it would be sticking on the wall with the little thing dangling from it. So the realism has changed now. The The these games are so realistic in the gore and the violence and um, how they look. And you got these 3D simulations now and all this stuff that's out that's available that adds more weight and credibility to the experience. So it feels like, I mean, what's the saying that if you fool three out of your five senses, your body will think that is real. Your mind will think that is real. Your you're not your body, but your mind. And where the mind goes, the body will follow. So once these people have been in training, if you will, since they were, and I've seen video games where kids are on there from the age of four or five. By the time they hit 14, they, they're very capable, in my opinion, at 14 of killing someone. And I know you're looking at your little Johnny and saying, my Johnny couldn't hurt someone. Tell that to that 12-year-old child who they are, were reading the charges against this young man. And he was sitting there, cute little, handsome little boy with the nice blonde hair. Could have been anybody's child. Looked totally lost like he really didn't understand what was happening to him but i guarantee you his life will never be the same it will never be the same he has no idea the reality of what he has done so it's 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 very sad it's very sad but that's not the only problem we have in america it's not just gun violence it's there's a whole lot going on in america that has to do with the indications of the time period that we are in. So with that, I'm going to read you a um, scripture 
And we were talking about the Revelation 12 sign. And I'll start at the top again. In the last two lessons, we actually went over what some of those things meant. Revelation 12, 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And what we, what we discussed that was in our first uh, session of the three was that was that sign actually appeared over Israel September 23rd on uh, 2017 and how that aligned itself with the Jubilee year uh, representing great celebration in, uh, of times in Israel. And moving on, 12.3, uh, and there appeared, and another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and in, on his head seven uh, diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And we talked about uh, from the standpoint of second heaven out of space, what that meant is there's something coming that's affecting our planet and our weather patterns and not only the weather patterns, but earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. We talked about that in our second installation of this three part series. But there's another way of looking at this. He's, um, the, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. That actually represents certain countries on this planet and what's, what's, what's going to happen with these planets in respect to Israel. His tail swept down, uh, verse 4, swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Five, twelve, five. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We are, obviously, they're talking about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, but the woman was Israel. And so twelve six, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And those 1260 days are going to be the first, uh, going to be part of the seven year tribulation period. So there is something that's going to happen. It's going to force Israel to flee her land into the wilderness, a place that's already been prepared by God to where she can be, hidden and protected for 1260 days before she returns to her land. Now, before I go into what that is, I want to go back to talking about America because what's going to happen to Israel eventually, and this is what's going to cause her to flee, is she's going to get invaded in a major way. And I know there's a lot of listeners right now who listen to say, well, Israel's always been having problems with neighboring countries, Iran and Syria and Palestine and all these other countries that have a problem with her. But one thing you have to understand, since they got their land back, since they became a nation again in 1947, 1948, there has been no super major skirmish that would force her to leave her land. So this is something that is unique unto anything that has happened since they got their land back. And think about it this way. One of the reasons why Israel has, hasn't been invaded in mass, in force by 
you know, a group big enough to chase them off their land is because America has been here to help her. And we were talking about that in, in the second installation, uh, what's going to happen to America. So I think America is going to get wounded to the point by something from outer space to the point to where we won't be able to function in the capacity that we will now which means we will not be able to stand in the way of certain countries going to invade Israel in mass to chase her away from her land. And why do I feel America is going to be struggling uh, as a great nation? We're going to get hindered tremendously because one, we've allowed Roe versus Wade, the killing of, of babies, which I'm sure I, well, not sure. I know God is against that. He's against abortion. I know that for a fact, this is in his word. Uh, anybody wants to know, go read the word. It's in there. Uh, we've removed prayers from school and public buildings and other religious artifacts from schools and public buildings because we say it's against, you know, what's that church versus state thing and all the other crap that came up with. But I found an interesting article about how prayers were removed from public schools. Uh, it happened in the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court case in 1963, and there was a book, uh, Let Us Pray, by William J. Murray, who was a plaintiff in the 1963 U.S. Supreme Court case, which wind up being the removal of prayer from public schools. So I'm going to tell you a short story about how that happened. I bet you a lot of people don't even know this, this happened. In 1963, William J. Murray III, the child, was attending a public school in Baltimore, Maryland, his mother was Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was a militant far-left atheist, right? For a long time, she tried to defect to the communist Soviet Union where God was never mentioned. She hated God. Madeline had an affair with the married man while serving in the army during World War II. Even though she was married to uh, John Roth's, at the time, she wanted to marry William J. Murray Jr. Uh, she became pregnant by him, had a son. She named him William J. Murray III. Uh, William Jr., uh, the, the father, was a Catholic, and divorce was out of the question for him. Uh, Madeline blamed God for that, then denounced God as a fraud. She uh, became very angry against God, so she eventually escaped Christian America, and uh, she went to go to the Soviet Union in 1960. Madeline and her son, William III, boarded the ship Queen Elizabeth for France. Once she was in Paris, she headed straight for the Soviet embassy. Her request for Soviet citizenship would take months and had to be approved by the uh, presidium of the Soviet, uh, Supreme Soviet. She was also told that her life in the Russia would be very hard, but not wanting to wait, her hopes dashed. She returned to the U.S. This caught the attention of the high communist leadership, and they saw in her a chance to achieve one of their communist objectives. She became the instrument by which they could use her son to get prayers removed from public schools. Because once she heard they were praying in school, the son came home and told her that. She went ape crap, went to the school, cursed them out, went all on this tirade. And then it got uh, legal after that, political and legal after that. And eventually it wind up, uh, they wind up improving it and said that you can't no longer pray in schools. So these sorts of things 
that Satan has put in place all around the world since uh, man's great fall in the Garden of Eden has been part of his grandiose plan to usurp God off of his throne, to, dis to prove that Jesus is not the great I am, not the great savior of man, so that he could be leader and ruler over man. And every time something happens in our country, like prayers being removed from schools and other things of that nature, America slips further and further and further into the negative abyss. So wars, let's talk about wars and rumors of wars. And every listener that's listening will say, well, Brother Fred, Brother Rob, there's been war since man has first walked on this planet. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There has, there's, if, you look, if you look at these statistics of wars, you will see the title, the date, roughly how many people were killed, the countries who were involved, any stats you may want to find on wars, you can find them. I, if I could find it, you could find it. I only looked at two wars, though, because these were the, two of the nastiest wars as far as the amount of casualties since time began. These two wars together have killed more people on this planet than all the other wars combined, probably, along with natural disasters. World War I and World War II. World War I and World War II. World War I killed 16 million to 40 million plus. The higher estimate also includes the first victims of the uh, related Spanish flu epidemic, who died by the end of uh, 1918. Um, I don't think it includes the subsequent Russian Civil War, though, but you're talking 40 plus million people died in World War I. World War II, 56.2 uh, to 85 plus million people died in World War II. A war that only lasted for a few years killed more than 85 million people. Isn't that crazy? Wow. But it kind of makes sense if you're dealing with looking at the development of weapons by that time with bombs and missiles and tanks and PT boats and you know that type of thing it seemed like as the technology advanced so did the number of casualties between those wars and if you look at most if you look at the wars i looked at all the stats from as far back as they were recording them most of the wars were originated the majority it looks like more than 90 percent of them are originated by europe the romans dick a lot of them back in the day uh, but most of them were from European nations. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. And if you go into the Bible, you'll understand why the European nations have been doing most of these types of, of wars and, and killings of people. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's like greed for more land and power. Basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the war that's going to occur, that is going to chase... Israel from her land is, is in the Bible is called the Gog Magog war. And if I'm not mistaken, what Gog Magog means, it basically is talking about the countries is north of Israel. It's all your cold weather countries, right? 
And the main perpetrator is uh, Russia. Russia is going, and if you look at what's happening in the world right now, listener, Brother Rob, Russia has been making little side deals, friendly, let's get together and work together, little side deals with uh, a lot of these other countries surrounding uh, Israel, which is a first, because Russia normally didn't, Russia didn't like anybody but Russia. So if you didn't align 100% with their belief system and communism and all that, they didn't want to have nothing to do with you. You were considered their enemy. And if they had the ability to destroy you economically, directly, indirectly, they would try it. But they've been reaching across the aisle recently, if you will, and having these shaking hand deals with a lot of these, some of these Arab nations because what's happening is they're aligning themselves with what the Bible calls the Gog-Magog War. And what's so interesting about the Gog-Magog War, and this is how close we are to the Gog-Magog War. And that's one of the things I had wanted to paint a picture for you, the listener, as to how close we are to Daniel's timeline, the Great Tribulation, where God is going to pour out his wrath on this planet for seven years and the people on it who don't believe in him. These are not God's people, mainly that he's going to pour his wrath out upon. It's going to be non-believers. And part of that process is going to be the Gog-Magog war. The prophet Ezekiel had certain dreams and visions that God gave him. And when these things occur, that's how you know that the Gog-Magog war is imminent. And I'm going to go over some of those things. Ezekiel specified that the Gog-Magog war would take place uh, in the end years and the end days. So now did Ezekiel specify years, but also days. Uh, he prophesied Israel regathered and being given their father's land before the Gog-Magog war. That did occur. They regathered. They were given their father's land, Abraham's land, on May 15, 1948, right? Uh, it is when the mountains of Israel stopped being desolate or, or in waste, and they were now inhabited. Ezekiel prophesied the Gog-Magog war to take place after Israel is regathered and given their father's land, which, which did occur May 15, 1948. Uh, next thing on the list, Ezekiel tells us that Israel would be dwelling safely. That's from Ezekiel 38, 8 through 11. The word in the original Hebrew for dwelling safely, uh, batach, can have a meaning of feeling safe, but not necessarily being safe. It means it like a false sense of security, right? Uh, and right now, um, there is a false sense false feeling of safety in Israel right now. It could be reasonably argued that Israel is living more safely today than any other time in her 63 uh, years Israel, since they became a nation again. Israel today lives in a land of unwalled villages except for the 400 plus mile long wall separating her and portions of the West Bank. And that's one of the things they were talking about is you know, in the Israel that's going to befall the Gog-Magog war She's, not, she's going to have unwalled cities, unwalled villages, and that's exactly what they have now. There has never been a history in Israel, a uh, period in Israel's history, where they have been more unwalled than they are right now. The vast majority of Israel dwells in unwalled villages. 
So we, that's another sign that we're close to the Gog-Magog war occurring. Um, one of the reasons why Russia is going to be one of the nations coming up against her is because Israel is in a time period of great um, wealth. Great wealth. Ezekiel 8, uh, 38, 12 through 13 says to take a spoil to, and to take a prey which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Have you come to take a spoil? Have you gathered your company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil, right? This means that Israel will be a very wealthy, prosperous nation when the war occurs. And what country that you know of where, you know, you're talking about great wealth than Israel, that's a very wealthy nation right now, very wealthy nation. And she prophesied uh, greatly in her rebirth, and it talks about it in Ezekiel 36, 37. And Israel is the most blessed nation on the earth today with this great prosperity. And you can see that in if you read further into Ezekiel 36 and 37. They, in, a, in addition to her great wealth, Israel discovered a massive reserve of natural gas on the coast of uh, Haifa, H-A-I-F-A, Therefore, the spiritual working, awakening of Israel will lead them to resume um, their Old Testament style of worship. So what's going to happen when they get, when they run away from their land, when the Gog-Magog war occurs, Israel's going to leave her land. She's going to go into the mountains where she's going to go into hiding. This hiding, while they're there, is going to preempt a spiritual awakening in Israel that is going to eventually lead them um, to resume their Old Testament style of worshiping. And in that mode of worship, they're going to rebuild that third temple. And once they rebuild that third temple, if you know your Bible, that's when the Antichrist is going to step into the third temple and declare himself as God. But before the third temple can be built, before the third temple can be built, and this is an Ezekiel prophecy of the Gog-Magog war, the third temple cannot be built when the Holy Spirit and the church are on this earth. So what does that mean? That means um, probably before the Gog-Magog war either starts or during the Gog-Magog war, there are, in my opinion, the harpazo is going to happen. The rapture is going to happen because the Holy Spirit has to be gone and the church has to be gone. And then all the world is going to focus on Israel and whatever Christians who are still here on this planet. But the, the main focus is going to be on Israel at the time. So as the third temple starts to be built, and, and as the Ark of the Covenant resurfaces, the church will not be on the earth. It is in the third temple where the Antichrist will do the abomination. They call it the abomination of desolation. That's where he steps into the third temple and declares himself as God. Why? Because the people on this planet, when the tribulation period occurs, the, the Daniel's timeline, the seven years of strife of man occurs, they're going to need, they're going to be begging for a leader to step up, a religious figure to step up and save them. They're going to be so desperate. And like this one prophet said, 
pastor and prophet said I was listening to a few weeks ago, we are being prepped, prepped right now for the beast system, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, the abomination of desolation, one world religion, one money, one government. We're being prepped for that right now. What do you think this COVID-19 is all about? It's about getting us into a situation where governments can continue to take over and tell us what to do. But most people don't believe in any of this because most people don't even believe the Bible exists. So why should you believe anything about what I'm telling you? Well, I'm gonna ask you a question. Why should anyone believe in the Bible? I'm gonna give you an interesting stat about the Bible. The Bible has around 1,817 prophecies. According to one calculation, and it's been several, there are about 332 Messianic prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which Jesus fulfilled. This is why the Dead Sea Scrolls are such a big deal. They date back to about 100 years before the birth of Jesus, which shows us that the prophecies which Jesus fulfilled were indeed written before his birth and were not later redactions or additions. So the Dead Sea Scrolls and other holy documents prove that a lot of the scriptures foretelling of a great Messiah coming here and fulfilling his purpose that God sent him on was all prophesied more than 100 years before he stepped on terra firma to fulfill that purpose. The Bible is the only book that has prophesied and every prophecy to date has come to pass. And it kind of it's kind of interesting because if that's only about 332 out of 818 17 a thousand that's only what one fifth? Brother Rob, my math ain't that good, but one fifth somewhere around that. So <laughs> that means we got a whole lot to happen in a short time period, because I personally feel we're very close to the great tribulation occurring. And when that occurs, a lot of those prophecies are gonna go down like dominoes. It's gonna go down like dominoes. And I don't like to spend a whole lot of time talking about what's gonna happen during the great tribulation, because like I discussed before in some other lessons, I'm a believer in God. I try my best to keep his doctrine and his belief and live a God-filled, Bible-thumping, Christ-loving life, just like Brother Rob here. So I know we're not going to be here. We're going to be in the group that's going to get harpazzled. So if you want, listener, if you want to know what it's going to be like during the tribulation period, the Bible basically states it's going to be unlike anything this world has ever seen. So if you take 2012, if you take Greenland, if you take all of these post-apocalyptic or movies, put them all into one film and multiply it times 2,000, that's probably getting maybe one-eighth of what this planet is going to experience. I know there's one scripture in Revelation that states that the uh, world is going to wobble like a drunken man. And the earth is going to get split 
big crack across the whole earth. That's scary stuff. I you to me that's I mean the whole earth wobbling like a drunken man. That means the whole earth is going to be shaken out of her foundation, obviously from something out in space that's going to have such a strong gravitational pull on us that it's going to wreak havoc on this planet. That's some scary stuff. So how do you prepare for that? You really can't. Everybody's going to be running for their lives. It's going to be mass hysteria and craziness. It's already going to be some from when we get our puzzle rapture because you're going to have all these thousands, millions of people gone, clothes everywhere, planes crashed, houses burning down from stoves still being on, babies missing out of mother's stomach. This is going to be mass hysteria, graves open up, people gone that were in graves. And the only answer is that some man is going to give us that some aliens from space came and took these people. We're going to have a big alien invasion. Do not fear. I'm here to save you. He's going to do his little magic tricks to convince you he's the great Messiah and that he returned to save us all. Israel will be the first one to sign up that peace treaty to make peace. And everybody else is going to align themselves right behind her, Israel, and gotcha. We're in the middle, probably in the midpoint at that time of the uh, tribulation period. And it's going to be ugly on both sides. Satan is going to be trying to do his run, his plan, but Satan can never outthink God. You know, if, if God and Satan were playing chess, it would go down like this. Satan makes a move. God makes a move. Satan makes five moves. God makes one move. Satan gets angry, knocks all the pieces off the board. God picks them up and put them exactly where they were supposed to be. Satan makes five more moves. God makes one move. And Satan is sitting back going, I got him. I made all these moves. I knocked the board apart. I did all these things. I'm ahead of him. And God is like, nah, you're exactly where I want you to be. That's exactly what's going on in the world. So it doesn't matter how dire things look listener nothing on this planet occurs without god knowing about it because he's he doesn't he hasn't learned anything so he already knows what's going to happen past present future he already knows what's going to happen presently he already knows what's going to happen in the future and i can 100 percent guarantee you at some point in the history of mankind God is going to expose his great plan to all mankind because he says it in the Bible, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And I'm going to ask you, Brother Rob, since I, you know, we have no listeners who can speak right now and answer this question, based on everything we discussed that was negative, what's the one thing, if, if you had to use one word, what's the one word that all those negative things we mentioned, those people have in common? Well, if I have one word, I would say devil. You're close. What I'm a non-believer. <laughs> so what got the devil kicked out of heaven? Pride. Pride. Ding, 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 ding. Pride. Pride. That analogy I gave you about the chessboard, the reason why the devil doesn't realize he's being beaten by God is because of his pride. His pride will not let him 
And we talked about a man, just a few at the beginning of our lesson tonight, this man has great pride too. Pride besets the fall. Before you fall deeply into a pit of despair and, yeah, yeah, and lying and hating and killing and stealing, pride seeps into your person. Pride. Everybody feels, I, I remember hearing a story, Brother Rob. This is, this is a sad story. Two kids playing in a, in a baseball game got into a fight and the parents got involved. They started fighting. The one father got so upset, he went to his car, got a gun, came back and shot the other parent dead. The saddest part is you did this in front of your own children. So they lost their father. You're going to jail forever. Your name is going to be tarnished. And what I found interesting, you know, people may say, well, this is a guy obviously, you know, didn't have no good sense and he didn't care and he's just out there and he's kind of wild and, and untethered and blah, blah, blah. No, he was a dentist. This guy was a dentist. You talk about a man of great integrity, hard work, merit, who understands anybody that becomes a doctor, whoo, it's a lot of work, a lot of work. And it wasn't like he just got out of dental school a day after he did that crime, uh, before he did that crime. He had probably been a dentist for quite a few years, but shot a man dead over an argument that two children have, but children fight all the time. Two kids on the playground fight all the time. But it's pride. He couldn't let his pride go. He couldn't get rid of his pride. How dare you? How many times have we heard it, Brother Rob? How dare you say anything about my children? How dare you? My child wouldn't do something like that. That's because of your pride. Your child does more negative things than you'll ever realize. We did it. If we did negative things, what makes you think your child isn't doing negative things? Sneaky little underhanded things. That's just the nature of children. Get over yourself, listener. Your child ain't no, you know, goody two shoes. So it's pride. <laughs> yeah. So listener, a final thought here. You do not want to be here when the great tribulation period occurs. And the three lessons we did on this time period that is to come, and it is coming, it is coming, we have discovered through our talks here that natural disasters are on the continuous rise uh, on this planet, all of them mass shootings and death and wars and etc is on the rise we are heading someplace even if you don't believe in god and a lot of people don't right that's correct yeah you can feel in the essence of yourself that something's not right at that three o'clock in the morning time period that you have you know that something on this planet is not right. It's not right. Anybody that can sit up and say, oh, there's nothing really going on. It's always been this way and blah, blah, blah. Go back yourself and look at these statistics. We haven't always had these mass shootings. We haven't always had in, in, must, in great quantities like this. 
we haven't always had these natural disasters that are occurring in great quantities like this. We have not always had this blatant disrespect towards one another. Things are continuously degrading and getting worse because it's leading up to something. That's why people are panicky. That's why people, every time somebody sneezes the wrong way, all you have to do is go online and try to buy bullets. I remember Y2K, you couldn't find a bullet in any store anywhere. People were buying potted meat, generators, guns, water, and sitting there with the shotgun rack, eyes open like this, worried about what was going to happen. All oh, the computers are going to die and the world's going to come to an end. And I was in the world then. I wasn't saved like I am now. I had got drunk that night and went to sleep at three in the morning after partying. I wasn't worried about anything because I knew nothing was going to happen. But eventually, because you know, you weren't far-fetched, listener, in your belief, you were not far-fetched. Something is going to happen sooner or later. Do not get caught with your pants down. Give your life to Jesus. Do not be afraid to take that step and give your life to God. This is the time to do it. Don't wait. You don't want to be here when the wheels fall off the wagon and we're in the middle of this tribulation period. God is going to come back on this planet and pour out his wrath on this planet. It is not going to be a pretty sight. It's not. It's not. So if, you know, if, if every prophecy that the Bible has ever spoke of has been occurring at an alarming rate and they continue to go down every day, prophecies that have been spoken of, then I think you, can, you have a great litmus for what is real and relevant, and that is the word of God. And I think you need to get on your knees, ask for forgiveness, repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, and start living a God-filled life. It is not too late. But when that tribulation period occurs, when that herpazo occurs and we get snatched up out of here, the church and the Holy Ghost, it's too late for you then. You got to do it the hard way, which means if you go to God at that point, you're going to wind up probably getting martyred and killed by the beast system. That's in the Bible. It's in there. I'm telling you. So uh, in closing, don't be afraid to step forward and give your life to Jesus. What do you think, Brother Rob? Any closing words you have? Um, just a, you know, it's a great and powerful lesson that <clears throat> concludes our three-part series that we've been discussing. Um, it's always great how we can look at things taking place right now in the world and apply them to what we've read about in the Bible and what we're supposed to be doing in terms of being good Christians and prepare preparation for what's to come in the future, according to uh, Revelations. So uh, I think that was an excellent lesson. And I think that it would be great to hear from our listeners to see what they think about the lesson too. So, you know, if you could tell them where to go to access the podcast and to leave comments for us. Well, I can never get this right half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll start it off right with the Facebook page. Uh, yeah, what's, the, can... what's the Facebook group called? Uh, DBSG, uh, Discipleship Bible Study Group. Uh, you can find some links on there. You can find a link uh, to our podcast on Twitter. We're on Podbean. We're on uh, iHeartRadio. We're on about um, five or six different platforms. But if you start there with those, um, you, you, you'll definitely see our messages on there. And, uh, you know, 
Don't be afraid to step up. This is the time. Listen, I know there's a listener right now is listening to this who's been on the fence about giving their life to God. Take that first step. I'm telling you right now, you will not be disappointed. God, the Holy Ghost, has been working in our lives every day. God sends me signs almost every day. Signs that you wouldn't believe showing me things. And it's been amazing because God is opening up that floodgate of knowledge to his believers because we need to go out into the world and preach all the gospel. I, you know, people say you're not supposed to predict when the um, rapture occurs, right? And uh, in other time periods, but I already know when it's going to occur. And I've said this plenty of times. I know exactly when things are going to happen. When the last person on this planet has heard the gospel and gets a chance to make a decision, yay or nay, I'm going to go with God, or I'm going to go against God. When the last person that's responsible for their sins, so we're not talking about an eight-year-old, we're talking about somebody that's a teenager or older, gets their chance to hear the gospel and make a decision the, the book is sealed, the door is shut, the ark, and it's a done deal. Because everybody else, you're either a believer and you love Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind, love your neighbors, you love yourself, you're following his commandments. That's all about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Or you were a believer, but yet you still want to hold on to the world. Or you're the total opposite. You don't believe in any of this stuff. This stuff, I don't believe any of it. And I'll tell you this much for you who are saying, I don't believe any of this, and, or you're a devil worshiper or all this. You are going to see for yourself one day that everything Brother Rob and I have been talking about and all of these Bible studies is going to come to pass. I feel sorry for those people. I feel sorry for you because you, you're not going to like what's going to happen to you. You really aren't. God has not purposefully, other than Satan, uh, sentenced anyone to hell. It's called rejection. When you stand before Jesus one day to give an account for your life, when you walk up your turn in line and have to stand before him, if he doesn't see himself inside of you, you are automatically repelled and rejected. The conversation is over and done. So you are rejected automatically if he does not see his son inside of you it's a done deal you're done why take that chance why take that risk because that's you're talking about eternity you're not talking about you know just a day or two or i'm going to jail for three days three years but i'll be out and blah 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 no there is no more hope you have hope here and now every time you suck in a breath of oxygen listener Jesus is telling you, I put this oxygen here just for you to give you another chance in this body to come to me. Every time your heart beats, I allowed your heart to beat so you have another chance to get on your knees and humble yourself to me. So do it. Do it. So, Brother Rob, you want to pray us out uh, to, to finish off this wonderful lesson that God gave us? Sure. So about this, dear Lord, thank you for the many lessons and knowledge and wisdom that we received today in today's lesson. Please, Lord, allow your message to penetrate the minds, hearts, and ears 
of all the listeners and everyone who's within ear range of this podcast. Lord, please bless this podcast episode to spread among those who particularly need to hear this message, Lord. And Lord, please bless the souls who have already heard your message and have accepted your message and your word as the one and only and final authority. In your name, I pray and we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, and that's another episode of the DBSG podcast, Discipleship Bible Studies Group. Uh, I'm your host, Rob, Brother Rob, and say goodbye, Brother Fred. Goodbye, and thank you. God bless you all. And uh, you've heard where you can access our podcast, so we look forward to seeing your comments on our Facebook page and other social platforms, and please have a blessed and mighty day. Amen. Yeah.